Hello, and welcome to the Fantasy Rewind Podcast. I am your co-host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined as always by my friend, Michael Wifford. Oh no, a big wave. Oh, scary. So today, we are talking about Rings of Power Episode 4, titled... The Big Wave. The Great Wave. The gr- Some kind of wave. <laughs> the wave. Everybody do hey. the wave. <laughs> exactly. So we are going to get into the discussion here for Rings of Power Episode 4. But before we do that, the great we wave. have a few announcements here. First of all, the one we give out at the start of every episode. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can do so by sending us an email, which is fantasyrewindpod at gmail.com. You can get at us on Instagram, which is at fantasyrewindpod. Or you could get at us on Twitter as well, which is at Fantasy Rewind. If you get in contact with us, as always, we'll send you a sticker. Also, we are celebrating right now because we are just past our one-year anniversary as a podcast, which is really awesome because I know I never thought I'd be doing this podcast for a year. <laughs> I know, it's insane. <laughs> but we want to say thank you so much to the fantasy community that has welcomed us with open arms. Um, everybody on all social media platforms or emails that have ever reached out to us, thank you very much. Um, and just mm. everyone that listens to the show as well. Just We couldn't do this show if you guys didn't like it too, so thank you very much. Now, we are wanting, we are wanting to give back as well because that's something that I know has been important to like myself in the past as well as just Mike is to just giving back to those people that help us out. So we want to send some books to you guys or more specifically a book of your choice. So Mike, what books are we offering the winner of our one year anniversary giveaway to be able to choose from? So we are offering you a choice of any of the material we've covered on this show. Uh, so far, that would be The Wheel of Time, Volume 1. Eye of the World. The Eye of the World. <laughs> Almost blinked on that for a second. Sandman, Volume 1, Preludes and Nocturnes, The Wheel of... Uh, I said The Wheel of Time. Boop. Uh, the House of the Dragon, it's, which is actually Fire and Blood, even though I keep saying House of the Dragon because that's the name of the show. So you'd be able to get choose from that book. Or The Silmarillion, as well as Alyssa Markin's... Perilous Star. Yep, which we got a chance to talk with her in that... Really, highly suggest you check that book out. So all you need to do to get into the giveaway here for the one of those awesome books here is to send us an email, which again is fantasyrewindpod at gmail.com, saying what you like about our podcast, how you like us to improve the podcast, and also just your name and shipping information as well. Um, we're also going to throw in a sticker for whoever wins. The other options to enter will be to send us a DM on our Instagram or our Twitter. Again, just same information, just telling us what you think of the podcast so far, how we could improve, and again, shipping information so that we can send you guys the book that you choose. And also, please include the book you would like, because while all of these books are amazing, I'm, I'm certain that some of you have some of these already. But we'd love to enhance your own personal libraries with awesome fantasy goodness here just one little thing back on that uh only shipping in the u.s ah yes we really appreciate our international listeners in australia the uk canada however shipping right now is a bit of a bear times are tough (laughs) so we will be uh shipping unfortunately only to the u.s 
we do appreciate yes. you guys and want to give you all a shout out as well. That's why I went through and named your individual countries. But <laughs> yeah, it's a one little one little um, thing too before we get into this episode and we do our rewind. Uh, real cool Kickstarter is up. Um, it is for Brandon Sanderson's The Stormlight Archives Miniatures. This is done through Brotherwise Games. They're obviously hashtag not a sponsor, but I'd love them to <laughs> right. if they want to send me some minis. <laughs> but these miniatures are really cool. Um, I've been sitting there looking, <laughs> looking at them for the past week, like to back or not to back. Um, that is a question. <laughs> I know uh, previously in the year, and we didn't. I don't think we mentioned it on the podcast, but we really should have. But Brandon Sanderson had that huge record-breaking like, Kickstarter. <laughs> Oh my gosh, secret book release. So these are the miniatures. They're obviously already 100% funded. They're already over like $2 million, but really cool looking. So if you're a big fan of Stormlight Archives, would suggest they, they're neat. So, All right. So without any more delay, let's jump into the rewind. Fantasy rewind. All right. So episode five, The Great Wave. Episode four, The Great Wave. <laughs> Episode four, The Great Wave. All right, so what did you think of this episode, Dylan? So I just finished reading The Silmarillion, which mm-hmm. if you have never... Drop some lore on us. Dropping that lore, dropping that lore. Yeah, if you've never read The Silmarillion before, one of the final chapters in the edition that I read is the Akalabeth, which is the destruction of Numenor. And I was so excited to reread this chapter because I was like, okay, I forgot so much here because I read the Silmarillion so long ago. What all goes down around the time Numenor meets its doom? So I'm not going to tell you what goes on because I want to see if they actually follow through with some of the stuff that happens here because of some of the things that happen in this episode. In particular... Alfarazan's speech to the men here. I really want to see, like, if there's more fallout from that speech that he gave versus what the lore actually says happens. Um, so I'm not comparing Rings of Power to the Silmarillion in any way, shape, or form right now because I know it cannot follow the lore because they don't have the rights mm-hmm. for the Silmarillion. However, I do not know if the Doom of Numenor is specified in the appendices or not. I truthfully have not read the appendices for Return of the King front to back ever, I don't think. Um, But the other part that goes along with this is that this episode, I felt like did a big 180 from where I thought it was going to be going. Although I did say that Galadriel would leave Numenor by the end of this episode. And she did. But she came back. <laughs> so, um, but Arondir did escape or was set free yes. by the orcs. And, if that's uh, Arondir. Right? If that is Arondir. We'll, we shall see. I think it is. Um, I but I definitely got some of my predictions right for this episode. Not so much on some of the oh, other yeah. ones. But I didn't go with anything too groundbreaking. I just kind of went with like what I thought would actually happen here. But all in all, I thought this episode was good and setting some stuff Mm -hmm. up, but was a little too much in some areas as well for my personal taste. So I thought it was just an okay episode and all. Yeah. I, I do like a lot of the exposure we got to, um, Linden and the mines 
of Moria. Casa Doom, yeah. Yes. Um, I, I really liked that side of it more so than the new the Numenor side of things because I felt like you were kind of saying there, the Numenor side, well, at least for me, the Numenor side kind of dragged on a little bit more than it needed to. And plus, like, it's just a lot of political intrigue right now. Whereas, I, and the characters I don't really care about too awful much, if we're being honest. Whereas, like, Casa Doom, all those characters are so much fun. They're, you know, really interesting and engaging. Elrond, I liked learning about his father and kind of that connection and, you know, Durin and his father and how, like, we were, like, thinking, oh, maybe they found a Silmaril. Like, no, they just found Mithril, which right. makes sense. Yeah. So as soon as we started watching this episode, and by we, I mean my wife Amy and I, as soon as we started watching mm-hmm. this episode and it goes back to Durin and Casa Doom, I'm like, you know, that probably is Mithril. That's probably not a Silmaril. And I'm really glad that it was Mithril and not a Silmaril. Makes so much yeah. sense, right? So I really like, and because it, so in this episode, and I, maybe it's just me, but I feel like they were doing so many callbacks to the Peter Jackson movies. Definitely were, yeah. Okay, it's not just me. Because like, when they were talking about like the mithril and stuff, all I heard in my head was just they delve they too th- greedily and too deep. Yes, they delve too greedily and too deep. Um, I guess we let's stick here with the mines, yeah. and then we'll kind of go over to Numenor, and then wrap up with uh, the we'll tech- Yeah, that sounds good. I, I was kind of sad though in this episode we didn't get any more of the Harfoots, but I guess you know there was a brief flash. Maybe. Maybe. I don't think so. When they were taught when the one guy was talking about Sauron later on? I don't Or was that I don't know. Okay. Maybe I'm thinking about the tr- teaser trailer at the end too. Yeah, yeah, I think that's more teaser trailer material. It's all right. So, anyway, in the mines, some really great things. One, love 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 Duran's wife. That actress is killing it. Like they just have such great chemistry. <laughs> they really do. I'm I'm honestly surprised by how much I like her because like I was not expecting to like even like care about mm-hmm. about her character at all, and she's actually really great. Oh yeah, she is. So I'm excited to have more of them. I like this intrigue um, between kind of the dwarves and Linden and um, the Gilgalad. Yes, Gilgalad, because you're kind of like, well, what is it that they're keeping from each other? Because you do, I do sense like, you know, there's something with Gilgalad that just seems off, right? Well, you're thinking, I think, more of Celebrimbor or Celebrimbor. Sorry, that's what I meant. Celebrimbor, the ringsmith. Yes. Because he's, how he was acting at the beginning of the episode when we were kind of before going over to Casa Doom and he was talking about how Durin was avoiding him and everything else but he just seemed like something was wrong and uh wasn't was kind of almost deflecting a little bit onto the dwarf so i don't like i just feel like there's something there and we do know some of his like future endeavors he creates the rings obviously of power but i don't know something's up with him and it was neat though learning about elrond's father like i said earlier Kind of getting that backstory, and it plays into his conversation with Durin later on. We then kind of go into the mines where he's trying to find Durin. The wife's dodging him, and he apparently can read lips from a great distance. Or so hears I think them talk. that was yeah, that was a way to show uh, Elrond's enhanced senses and kind of like his ability to kind of have that far sight, where in the main trilogy 
Elrond's farsight is more so demonstrated through, like, his conversations with Arwen, his daughter, where he talks about being able to, like, see a possible future um, of, you know, Arwen being left alone in Middle-earth without Aragorn because he dies. Well, that's what um, Celebrimbor was saying kind of about his dad having farsight, but it sounded more like that kind of farsight. Yeah. So maybe his farsight will develop into that. So yeah, Elrond has that as well, and mm-hmm. that's like one of his gifts. That's also one of Gil Galad's drifts or gifts as well, which mm-hmm. is why they were so insistent on Galadriel going away because they were like, we see you know possible futures of you wreaking havoc. We don't know for good or ill, um, but sticking with the storyline that we're seeing in this episode here. I think when you see Elrond kind of perched down in Khazad-dûm, like, watching what's happening and everything, I think that was a little cheesy. Because, mm-hmm. like, could he actually do that? Is he is his hearing really that good? And if it is, how is he not, like, wearing earplugs all the time? Because he's hearing everything. I really think he was reading lips. Yeah? Okay. I, I mean, that's just kind of my take on it. Like that, because you wouldn't have been able to hear. Like you said, Mm-mm. there's just no way on that one. I really think he was reading lips. So, okay. or his far sight is giving him. The, I don't, yeah, we'll just. I'm just going with that because that makes the most sense to me. But anyway, um, so he finds out basically he's digging in a certain part of the mine. He goes down to explore, finds out. Oh, and has to wait. Finds out like, oh, you're having a secret mine and you're digging up this weird stuff. Durin won't tell him what it is until he promises on the mountain on his life never tell anyone else and that just sounds like that's going to get broken at some point and that pisses me off a little bit to be honest because elrond what we know about elrond Mm. is that he's a good elf he's a good person and he would not betray a promise made like that lightly so i don't i don't think he'll end up betraying it i think something's going to happen probably from celebrimbor that's going to kind of not get it out of him necessarily, but at least discover that mithril piece he has, and then it's going to lead to some really... See, uh, this here is one of my bigger beefs with this episode, is you have Durin making Elrond make all these promises not to share this information he's going to tell him. Mm -hmm. Then he gives him physical evidence of this conversation, so that Elrond doesn't even have to say a word. He could literally hand that piece of mithril to Celebrimbor and would not break his oath. I cannot say. Because he couldn't say a word. He just could give it. But what I think will happen, and this could go to predictions, but will be that Celebrimbor finds it in his coat pocket or something stupid like that. Or he'll fall and it'll come out or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, that's how, that's kind of my feeling on it too. And I honestly, if you want to know when, as I was watching the episode, what I thought, was that once he gave it to him, the mine shaft started to collapse, and he's like, "There's four miners in there," and he goes in, right? I figured, and then you have, you know, his wife like singing, which was a cool scene. Uh, yeah, I was like, yeah. you know what? He probably just died, and now the king's gonna find out he has a piece of mithril, and he won't be able to say anything, and he's gonna like it's just gonna cause tension. And I was like, I was gonna be so mad if that was the case, but I'm glad it wasn't. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Me too. So I also, you know, getting into predictions later on, season-long predictions, we know what's happening. We know what's happening with the Balrog named Durin's Bane coming out. Yeah. Because Durin is going to continue to mine that shaft anyways, but probably naming the Balrog from 
from his folly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sticking with this section here again, the part I liked about this segment was that ending conversation that Elrond had with Durin, where he was telling him about like what he would give to talk to his father again, mm. so that he sh- that Durin should mend whatever gap there is, whatever coldness there is between his father and him, while he still has the chance to, and not hold the grudge there. And so I thought that was a cool scene, just like a nice like you know heartwarming scene there. Yeah, but definitely. Uh, Definitely sensing some troubles on the Elrond Durin relationship in the future. Well, yeah. Even though right now it seems all peachy keen, there's still some mistrust there, at least with Durin's father, and Durin seems to take that higher than his friendship. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I thought the conversation between Durin's father and him was interesting because that sort of like showed me that, you know, they still don't trust what's going on. And I do like that he kind of pointed out, you know, it may not be Elrond, it may be somebody else. Yeah, maybe Celebrimbor, maybe Gilgalad, mm-hmm. maybe someone else that he was sent there, like, on their behest. Yeah, so excited to do that. Now let's go ahead and transition over to Numenor. Um, called the uh, Palantir, I kind of called all of that, like, her seeing the vision of her and so on, but I, I just, I don't know, man. The way that it happened was kind of lame. Yeah. With the guards putting themselves in the prison cell. <laughs> yeah, I know. She basically steps aside and lets them charge into the empty prison cell and gives them like a pat on the butt, being like, good job, boys. It was, but yeah. It was, a, it was a little cringy. Yeah, it was. Um, I do think there is some interesting political intrigue there with the guy who's the head of all the craftsman guilds. He seems to have a lot more power and very much anti-elf. And I thought that scene was terrible, to be honest, to be frank. Like, him being like, they took her gerbs! Like, you know, the South Park meet where they made fun of uh, (laughs) all of that going on. But the the elves are coming to take your jobs. Workers that don't age. Workers that don't tire. Yeah, there's one elf now, but there's one elf, there's more. Like, all kinds of, like, racist crap that is just like going on you there see just so much of that though prevalent in this show is just how much people yeah. don't like the elves i mean honestly i just felt like that was a little overdone cringy yeah oh way overdone way overdone yeah. but i will say i really liked alfarazan's speech there to like counter that guy's uh, argument mm-hmm. although again talking about like from silmarillion Elfarazan would have never made that speech because Elfarazan would have been the one making that speech against the elves because well, he was somebody. That's what I'm saying. Who definitely, though, uh, yeah. Is I feel like he's you know collecting, gaining the you know people's kind of trust and unity to eventually turn them onto his side, and he's going to go for power. That's just my oh yeah opinion. Well, that's what happens in the Silmarillion. He <laughs> he, mar- he marries the queen regent here in the Silmarillion against the, her will and, like, breaks precedent because they are cousins and it's too close to marriage. Um, but he's like, I don't care. I'm taking her as wife and I am taking that seat as king. Hmm. But he does some really cool stuff as well, um, which I don't think they would ever show on the screen here. Such as, like, taking Sauron captive. Like, coming with an army so great that Sauron's afraid to fight him. And rather than die on the field of battle, 
bows to Elpharazan and buys his time and then corrupts him through cunning and basically turns Numenor into a bunch of devil worshippers, a.k.a. Melkor, Morgoth worshippers. And so this was then before Morgoth would have... No, it would have been after. Oh, no, it was after. It was after. Interesting. Even though, like, you see here during the Rings of Power how Elpharazan is so proud of the fact that it was the men of Numenor that stood against Morgoth and finally took him down with the, you know, with the Valar and the elves and everything. But it was the men of Numenor that stood up to the great evil of Morgoth. And if we can do that, what's one elf going to do to us? Nothing, because we're badasses. So (laughs) that was like his whole speech there. And that's why I don't feel like they're going to go the canonical route for... Well, what happens with the destruction either. of Numenor? They can't. Also, too, yeah. I don't think they want the whole marrying cousins thing on their show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon. That's very true, which we'll get into next episode. But, yeah, uh, there wasn't a whole lot outside of the speech and finding out about, basically, uh, you know, they didn't want uh, Galadriel there because she's going to cause this huge, massive flood. And when they try to get, they finally, you know, ship her off to get rid of her, the white tree basically is, you know, losing all its petals, which is showing that the Valar are crying, so they don't agree with this decision. And so they bring her back, and the Queen Regent will be going with her, which I think is interesting because with the fall of Numenor, we have to have Isildur and his father escape, you know? Yes. So definitely has to happen. This is a catalyst for that because I still believe, you know, it's going to fall probably while they're gone. Oh, I think that's a possibility. It could be one of those things where, again, getting into like predictions for like the series in general, Mm -hmm. where they could, like, Numenorians could go with Galadriel. They will. And they're going to give her her armor and all that stuff there. But she's going to go. And lead their army against the ar- the orcs in the south. And while they're gone, I feel like Alfarazan is going to like take power for himself, basically. Mm-hmm. And say, oh, you can't come back, elf lovers. And then Numenor will get destroyed while they're all gone. Yeah, we just cleansed this whole country of all the elf lovers. They went, and now we're better for it. And then, yeah. Exactly. And so it's almost, it makes me think of almost like... Um, no, in the Ark, right? Yeah. Trying to get everyone on the Ark, and Galadriel's trying to get everyone on the Ark to go and, you know, over to this new area, and then all these people who are like, nah, we're not going to go, are going to get drowned, so. Well, I will I will say this as well. Like, in the Silmarillion, mm-hmm. like, the, the way that this works really does emphasize some of the heroics that Asiliador is able to accomplish as well. And it doesn't show him as a bumbling fool, which is pretty much all Rings of Power has done. Um, yeah, and who, and who also like, listens to voices apparently already. Yeah, apparently hears voices telling him to go to the west. That's yeah, an interesting thing that they brought up. And apparently his brother was doesn't happen. Yeah, I was like, it's his granddad, but I mean, still. Yeah, thought that was. Interesting. I mean, and one one important thing is that Asilidor and his brother are the co-founders of Gondor. Oh, okay, so. And he has no sister in the in the books as well. So pretty much what is going to happen, I'm assuming, again, prediction here, is Celiador and his sister will found Gondor together. Well, that would make sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you good on that topic? I mean, Halbrand is still in Numenor right now, but Galadriel is going to probably try to get him to go. 
still feel like Halbrand's going to become a ring wraith at some point. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. They keep, like, every time they're talking about, like, evil, they pan to him. So they're just, yeah. like, really building that up, either to just falsely take us in that direction, or, I don't know. I, I agree with you, though. Ringwraith or Witch King. Yeah, could be, but, I mean, it is, he is called the Witch King of Angmar. So I... Angmar's in the north, by the way. So mm-hmm. I don't think that a man from the south will be yeah. taking that title. Again, unless they reveal more information about him. Because if you notice, when he had his fight with the guy, he said, call me Halbrand. Like, you can call me this name now. That might not be my real name, but you're going to call me this name from now on. Correct. And so whoever Halbrand actually becomes, I feel like his fate is pretty much sealed in my book, that he's going to become one of the nine. I'd agree with that. Yeah, so let's switch here and jump on to the... Arondir and Bromwyn chapter. Yes, thank you. In the Southlands, uh, we finally meet who... The father, which is yeah. what... Um, Apparently, Adar means father. In- <laughs> yeah, which, uh, yeah, Adar means, and oh, lo and behold, it's a elf. Seems like a twisted elf. Definitely a twisted will. elf, yeah. So I thought that was intriguing, because that kind of... Even though that's not canon, like, orcs came from Twisted Elves. It is actually canon. <laughs> is it canon? I thought that was well, just something that's how, they... that's how it's described in the Silmarillion. Oh, okay. Is, okay, good. That's how... That's the origin of orcs, pretty much, is elves that never left and didn't go to Valinor with mm. with their uh, forebearers, but got instead ensnared and corrupted and twisted by Morgoth and became a mockery of elves. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, because, so I was reading before about this because it was, uh, when we were doing the Lord of the Rings movies and apparently there was, it's like not, like there's snippets of it, but it isn't complete like canon throughout the text, which again, there's so much. So that makes sense. It is a topic that Tolkien went back and forth on, Mm -hmm. um, whether he wanted to keep it that way or not, because like I said, Silmarillion was written as, like, the background text of which everything was kind of based on. But then as he wrote more and more, like, it was kind of like, well, does that actually make sense? I, I don't know. So, like, yeah. it it is canon, but it's not at the same time. Like, there are kind of, like, two different origins of orcs in that way. Yeah. It's very interesting. So, but this elf was definitely in the same area. Th- right, in Bellarand, yeah. Yeah, which is in Valinor? No, so Middle-earth actually used to be bigger. Oh, um, yes. Bellaran got destroyed in the War of Wrath against Morgoth when the Valar, the hosts of what would become Numenor, the three loyal tribes of men, um, and the elves went to war against Melkor, a.k.a. Morgoth, and when they defeated him, the, the battle was so great that that whole land to the west of, um, of Linden got sunk, basically. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, um, we're kind of going back to them, and we learn about Adar being the father, which is kind of weird. He is kind of fatherly to the orc there that is downed and, you know, strokes his head before stabbing him. Yeah, nice little pet before he guts him. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting, and they were, all the orcs were very, like, viewed him in reverence, right? Yeah. So that's going to be cool to kind of figure out why that is. What makes him so special, or father, if you will? So, I don't know. We'll see more. Hopefully learn more about that. 
One thing I will say as well is just getting this out there right away. Why the heck did they let Arandir go? Like, I don't to know. To me, that makes no sense other than Completely because agree. plot. Yes, yeah. and all. I mean, unless they just want to flex, like, and if they want to, if like the orcs and him wanted to flex and be like, you know, this is kind of showing them to have this elf go up to them that they should just give up because, you know, we killed all of his kin. Because they gave him away his weapons back, too. It's like they gave him everything he needed to kill more orcs. And it's like, why would you do that? Yeah, that's what I thought was really interesting, too. So I don't know. They should have really explained that maybe a bit more, even just have like a scene where they're just like, we don't care. Like, you You know, stop us. Yeah, whatever. If you turn that arrow on us right now, we'll shoot you. And so go and deliver that message. You're only bringing your stuff so you can make it there alive. Either way, you're going to die later or something, you know. Yeah. Just sort of to give it some exposition. Because otherwise, right, yeah. It's like, so stupid. Yeah. Why would you give an elf his weapon back? Uh-huh. But it came in handy. Definitely did, yeah. We go, we kind of flip over to the humans, the Southland humans, who are all, you know, getting together at the elven watchtower. And starving to death. And, yeah, starving to death. And so Theo <laughs> wants to go into the village and get food. And he's not worried because he's got this special blade. Which he doesn't even know the extent of this blade's power, and neither do we, because I fully recant that this is not a Morgul blade. Mm-hmm. This is something else. This is something special that has not been on any film, uh, Lord of the Rings or Hobbit uh, movie yet. Yeah, so it has the sort of like sort of the effect of the Morgul blade, like where the Morgul blade would like disappear. You know, it was kind of that like when it, it's injected into their arm with the blood, it, like, starts to grow. But outside of that, there really is no connection to it. But it's apparently very important, and according to later on, towards the end of the episode, we find from this, it appears to be a crazy man, but it's somebody who's still loyal to Morgoth, um, that it is a blade that was fashioned for their ancestors, and that they had to be ready to serve Sauron or Morgoth or whomever. So there is still some, we are getting hints here that there are Southlanders who are still evil, technically. So the elves were right in some regard there. Yeah, I thought that by and large, this blade reminded me something like something of like a video game. Like you would come out, you'd get like the special sword. It kind of reminded me of like Final Fantasy in a way, where it's like this. You know, like a regular sized person with all of a sudden their sword is like 10 times their size or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of cheesy, um, kind of interesting, has me like wanting to know more about it. Mm-hmm. But I thought that Theo, uh, like basically using this weapon, I'm wondering if like repeated use is going to like cause him al- almost like Palantiri like addiction, where he's going to want to keep doing it because like you saw him like acting suspicious acting you know like shady and everything like he thought someone was going to take this away from him and so i'm wondering if it's going to be like a corrupting source for him and is going to become like a force that drives theo to the dark interesting i mean the other guy who had apparently been using it didn't seem to have that like desire to take it back from him or anything no no he was like oh rest up young one you're gonna need your strength Gotta kill them evil elves. Yeah. It's gonna be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, obviously, we have some very budding romance between um, 
Elf and human. I wonder if it's almost their form of, uh, oh my gosh, who are the two in the Silmarillion? Really? Well, there are three relationships ever between elf and human. So <laughs> I could tell you them all right now, but no, thank you. Okay. Um, I, but Baron and Luthien is who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's who I'm talking or about. Or Aragorn and yeah. Elrond's daughter, Arwen. This is the third. Um, Just kidding. No, no, no. Know, the third one is actually the one that produced Elrond, who's half-elf. His oh. name is actually uh, Elrond Half-Elven. But his his father um, was a half-elf as well. Um, but his father was human. So there's a, there's a whole story. It goes back to the fall of Gondolin. Okay. Good read, but enjoyable. Not relevant mm. to the story we're here now. With, yeah, so. that's fine. Other than I think that they're kind of forcing this like potential romance down our throats. And they're doing nothing but like standing awkwardly middle school vibes looking at each other whenever they're near and yeah could do without it yeah just could do without that part i mean it's fine if they end up together that's fine but yeah whatever I just, let's get it over with i feel like they're building it up just to have her die in his arms or something that's exactly what's gonna happen it's exactly what's gonna happen but anywho, I think that's pretty much it for this episode for me. Uh, we kind of actually talked about our uh, predictions throughout, so I'm kind of good at that. I'm just excited to see hopefully more of the Harfoots and Meteor Man, Gandalf, if you will, who they're also Gandalf, trying to yeah. play up, it seems like, Sauron. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway. Like I said, it's Gandalf or Saruman. Those are my two at this point, firmly entrenched in those positions. Um, I think it's really funny, just kind of an aside here, that a lot of the other feedback I've seen has been very critical of the Harfoots. Whereas, like, they've been one of my favorite parts because of how whimsical and Tolkien-esque they are. Um, but oh, yeah, all in all... they leave all their, you know, they leave their slow people behind. Yeah. I've not just, just that. It was a lot of hate before that, too. But yeah, that that too. <laughs> that part gets me, so I, I agree with that. Yeah, but all in all, I thought like this episode was a good episode, not a great one, not mm-hmm. a terrible one. I thought that it was like a pretty much like a a good like microcasm of how I feel about the series so far. Where there's stuff I like, there's stuff I don't like, and it's still intriguing enough to keep me wanting to watch more. Well, with that then, I think that's going to be it for us. So this is going to be two nerds signing off. See ya. See ya. Sploosh.